Welcome back to the Sustainable Stories podcast. Sustainable Stories is here to bring you the stories behind sustainability in our communities. From big to small, practical to theoretical, we're exploring the people and projects that are working to make our world a more sustainable, equitable, and healthy place to live. Welcome back to the Sustainable Stories podcast. My name is Jenna Inglot, and I will be your host for today's episode. I'm coming to you today from my home, uh, north of Saskatoon on Treaty 6 territory and the homeland of the Métis. And I have with me today Christy Nairn, who is the director of the Office of Sustainability at the University of Manitoba. Welcome, Christy. Hi, thanks for having me. So just to start us off, Christy, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, uh, what you do, and then, you know, maybe a little bit about the journey that that sort of led you down the path of where you are today? For sure. That's actually like a pretty big question. (laughs) Um, I guess at the current moment, uh, I am the Director of Sustainability at the University of Manitoba. Um, that was kind of my dream job, uh, which is kind of funny to get your dream job when you're 30. Um, but it was a long journey getting there. Um, so I guess I can fill you guys a little bit in on that. Um, I, I grew up in Saskatchewan like you. Um, so that's where my roots are from. And that's kind of probably how we ended up connecting. Um, but I had a farm in southern Saskatchewan um, near Port Reeve, if anybody ever knows where that is. Um, but I had always spent kind of some summers out there and some time out there. And I kind of realized that the place, although it was boring because there's nothing to do there, uh, I really loved being outside and enjoying nature and just like the peace and serenity of the prairies. Um, so fast forward through life. And then I ended up doing moving to Winnipeg to play volleyball. Um, so I kind of just forgot about anything environmental related. I was going to become a teacher. It was a great path. And then all of a sudden, there were no jobs for teachers. And I said, well, this doesn't sound like a smart place or direction to go in. Um, so I started looking around at different degree programs. And I noticed there was a lot to do with sustainability at the University of Winnipeg. Um, they have a really good geography and environmental studies program there. And I was a complete weather nut. Um, so I was like, how can I go into school and learn about weather? Uh, <laughs> so that landed me in a, a environmental science degree um, in the stream of global environmental systems. So I looked a lot at climate change, uh, meteorology, climatology, all that kind of stuff with MERS science. Um, and then during that time, I started working in healthcare, um, and I was just a summer student in healthcare. And then you start realizing how inefficient and garbage-ridden healthcare is, um, and just how unsustainable everything in that area is. Um, and I just so happened to be working in the corporate office of the hospital, um, where there was people that had the power to make changes sitting right next to me. So I said, hey, why don't you guys make a sustainability plan? And they're like, okay, why don't you make it? I was like, okay, let's do this. Um, So not knowing anything in like my third year of my undergrad, I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. I can write a report for like a major institution in Winnipeg. Why not? Um, 
So that was fun. It's now that I look back on the report, it was not good. There's <laughs> there are limited good things about that report, but at least it was a starting point for them. Uh, so that was fun. So I ended up working for them uh, for about eight years and we implemented like a compost program and we did a recycling program. We did some energy challenges and it just started raising awareness with staff. Um, and then I started working in communications as well. They needed kind of some backfill. Um, and I really liked that angle of like PR communications. Um, so then I was like, well, I'm done my schooling now. What do I do with my life? So I Googled like environment and communications and education because I liked all those things. And then I found a master's program <laughs> <laughs> that was through Royal Roads University in Victoria. Um, and it is a master's of arts in environmental education and communications. So it is very specific to exactly what I wanted to do. Um, so I went and did that. And it was a really awesome program. It was experiential learning. We went and did residencies on Vancouver Island. So obviously, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. When that was done, um, somebody from the U of M had just approached me saying, hey, uh, you thinking about leaving your job at the hospital, maybe? I said, yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> so I jumped ships uh, to the U of M, which is actually connected to the hospital as well. So I wasn't that far off. Um, so I started working for the U of M as a environmental, or what was my, what was that? It was the engagement specialist in the environmental or in the sustainability office. Um, so I did that for a couple of years and then our director ended up leaving. So then I was acting director for a little bit and then they liked me and then I got the actual job. <laughs> So then I, that took a little bit of a twist because now I'm on maternity leave. So I'm experiencing a whole nother realm of sustainable living than I've ever experienced. So that was a very long-winded answer. <laughs> no, that's great. That's that's the our favorite part of this podcast is people really sharing sort of like the winding path that it takes to sort of be in the role that you're in. And then, you know, as we were kind of chatting about a little bit earlier, it's you know, yeah, you're always sort of like things will come up and you get passionate about something else. And like, who knows where that's going to take you. Yeah. Going to take you next. So very cool. Something um, that you said, yeah. yeah, something that you said really uh, caught my attention was, uh, you know, growing up, you were, you were kind of obsessed with weather and it's so funny because I like, is that a prairie thing? I'm not sure, but I, as a, as a, kid so this is my dad's fault we did not watch tv unless it was the weather network like that was the only thing that was ever on the television and I remember just being so excited about you know like what were the top 10 weather events in the world for that month and there'd be like a streaming of the and it, anyways so I, I similarly relate a lot of like my interest in the environment and the natural world to like being able to see the weather understand the weather and then sort of like you know, see it in our farm and understand it from a land-based perspective. So anyways, it's funny when you were like, yeah, I'm obsessed with, I, I was obsessed totally with the weather. <laughs> I totally get it. I would blame my dad too. And like the most opened app on my phone is the weather app. <laughs> and I'm always looking at radar and like my dad's always asking me about our weather and snow and whatever. I love it. Yep. <laughs> <A little bit. laughs> 
very similar relationship like if there is a if there's a conversation going on in our family group chat it's about the weather and how different it is because everybody lives in different places like why is it so different this is so cool like anyways <laughs> what exactly. do other families and talk about told, I know really uh truth be told I would have like I really wanted to become a meteorologist which sounds also funny because there's like 10 meteorologists that work in the country and no, I don't want to be a weather girl on like CTV. Like that's not what I want to do. Um, but you have to take physics and fluid dynamics to become a meteorologist. And that was just too far. <laughs> I don't like weather that much. <laughs> I was similar. Like my, I did my undergraduate degree at, at UBC's Okanagan campus and I ended up focusing on environmental science. Um, and then when I was like, oh, but like climate change, that's more what I want to do is climate. Um, and then, you know, I took a modeling class, like a climate modeling class. And I was just, wow, that is, a, that is a special person that's going to do that for their whole life. That is not me. I realized I needed sort of that human, you know, communications, community, community engagement side of environmental work, as opposed to just being very data and science heavy. So anyway, yes, very, we both very took similar. A similar trajectory <laughs> in that sense. And that I didn't want to sit at a computer and like plug data in. Like I wanted to go and make a difference and like see people, talk to them face to face and like tell them why this is important and why they should care. So yeah, yeah. data crunching and sitting in a modeling computer. <laughs> it scares me a little bit, um, but so grateful for the people who do it because I rely on their yes. data and I rely on their modeling, but whoo special Great for them special person <laughs> not me yeah I can't do it oh that's awesome um so I'm, I'm curious about we ask this question on the on the podcast regularly and we sort of see it as uh almost sort of you know this term sustainability is pretty overused and and maybe not super well defined so we're kind of using up the podcast as maybe a bit of a living definition of the term sustainability so I'm curious if you could share a bit about, you know, what, how you describe or how you define the term um, sustainability and what that means to you. And then, you know, how you sort of integrate that into, you know, that sustainability lens um, or the way you see it into the work that you do. Well, sustainability in the dictionary is, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess I do very much go by like the dictionary definition of sustainability, which is ironic that I just did that. Um, but it is kind of just making sure that what you're doing is not going to impact the future and that we're leaving some for everybody later on, the very simplified version of that. Um, but that is harder said than done in a lot of cases. Um, so over time, when I was younger, I would have said like, no, that's the definition. Like we got to stick to that. Um, but that's, it is hard and it is not life and it isn't the complexity of how all of our systems kind of feed together. Um, so I think just making sure that um, what you are doing is smart, it's caring, it's not gluttonous, it's not, um, you're not using more than you need um, and you're just thinking about others when you go and do what you're doing and that sounds a little hokey and <laughs> very like hippie like but um having that caring nature I think is first and foremost on how you can live a sustainable life 
um, thinking about others is definitely top notch. And that goes into kind of um, the social sustainability side of things, which often when people think about sustainability, they think about concrete or like more physical sustainability. They think about recycling, they think about composting, they think about transportation. Um, but there is so much that goes into that, like climate justice, social justice, um, all that kind of stuff on the social side. Um, so if you are just a nice person, a caring person, you're thinking about others and you're approaching things um, with caution and thinking about what is the end product of what I'm doing, um, then I think you're setting yourself up to lay some solid sustainable roots. But yeah, sustainability in overall is definitely an overused term <laughs> and I know my partner Justin he's like you don't have to say sustainability 8,000 times <laughs> like I know what you do okay I'll just stop saying the word <laughs> oh that's so funny yeah it, I'm glad you I'm glad you brought that up I feel like my understanding when I first you know, when I was first in my undergrad or finishing high school and was really interested in this, this whole sustainability um, environmental world, it was very physical from like a human structural side, like what we do, how we build it, that kind of thing, or a hard environment side, like, you know, trees, water, plants, animals. Um, and then now, yeah, the, the, the social aspects of it, sort of the, the three pillars being um, so much more prevalent in, in the work that I do and understanding that, um, you know, we can't have sustainability without, um, you know, so social justice and, and an understanding of, of what a sustainable economy looks like and, and all of those pieces that, yeah, it just, the more, the more that adds to it, the more complex it gets, but that's because it's complex, right? Like it's something that, um, yeah, it, it, it's going to take a lot of us doing a lot of different things to really solve the the challenge. So, yeah. Exactly. And I think a lot of people try to put sustainability in a box. Like they're like, this is the industry of sustainability. Um, but that's like not, it's not a thing. Like every industry should have sustainability in it. But sustainability as an industry itself is not a job or it's not a thing that you can go do. Like it's just just a way of life that is kind of what it is and I took it we were in a conference I think it was this fall um I I have mommy brain and also I had prego brain at the time of this conference so I can't like tell you who was the presenter or anything like that but they had looked at the three pillars of sustainability and then they blended it with an indigenous um model and they ended up putting um like social environmental um oh my goodness economic <laughs> my brain is awful economic and wellness they made it into four pillars they added the wellness aspect to it um because if you're not taking care of yourself if you're not taking care of others and you're not taking care of the things around you then all those other pillars don't function so they had wellness as an overarching like round pillar to the three pillars um so i thought that was an interesting way of looking at sustainability that mm. I had never really heard of. And that's kind of funny because it's been like 12, 13 years working in sustainability and now, whoa, mind blown. 
with wellness. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, no, and it's just interesting the first time you hear it described that way, right? Because again, when you came at it, you know, you think back to 12 or 13 years ago, when you came at it more from that science understanding. um, And I feel like the whole topic and subject has really evolved because um, that was not a conversation that was being had when, when I started my university degree. Um, It it was, it was not that that was not even, not even talked about like social, the social aspect of sustainability was really just kind of starting. um, Well, not starting, but starting to be much more mainstream. Um, But this concept of, of wellness and how like, you know, and, and that's a very, like, that's a very, like, inherently Indigenous concept as well, this idea that, like, you know, if the land isn't well, and, and people aren't well, like, we can't have a healthy environment, and therefore we can't have a healthy mm-hmm. economy, we can't be healthy people, there can't be healthy lands, like, all of those things have to be um, interconnected. So, yeah, it's interesting that that was described as, like, the overarching to all the pillars inside. That's, yeah, really cool. Mm-hmm. So you chatted a little bit about this, um, and I don't know if you can expand anymore or have have any memories to share, but um, when you think about like where your interest in this topic began, you know, you talked about like as a kid and and living on the farm and, and, you know, weather and things like that. But um, yeah, I'm curious if you can sort of pinpoint any like moments or memories, um, you know, where you really felt like, okay, this is the direction you know, this is the direction that I'm interested in or want to go, like this could be from your childhood or sort of throughout your journey to where you are today. But um, yeah, kind of like, where does your story in this space begin? Is there a moment or, or some memories that you can share about that? I guess like the farm is definitely one thing that when I think about it, I'm like, well, that makes sense why I feel the way I do now. Just like being able to walk down a dirt road with nobody around and it's dead silent and you can see for kilometers and kilometers with a nice sunset and like it's just awesome um with gross grasshoppers jumping on you and stuff but other than that like that part is just like awesome and that that feeling I think was what I really enjoyed about nature so anytime I'm thinking of something that like brings me to a calm place I think of that um, and then when I got to university and the whole teaching thing wasn't really a way I wanted to go, um, just looking around at careers, whatever, I just picked sustainability or I picked environment. I was like, that sounds neat because of the whole weather thing. Um, but when I started thinking about it, I'm like, okay, so this is talking about climate change. And in high school, we didn't learn about climate change at all. Like, I don't know what was up with Saskatchewan education uh, like 13 years ago, but there was like no chat about anything like that. Like, I don't, we didn't even take like geography really. Like it wasn't, we didn't cover anything that had to do anything with climate or weather or anything. I don't even know why I was interested in this, Um, but I was like, that sounds neat. And the first class I took was an intro atmospheric science class And my professor was Danny Blair, and he's part of the Prairie Climate Center now in Winnipeg. So um, if anybody's looking for some cool things, he does a lot of neat things and just very knowledgeable in atmospheric science. Um, But I took his first year class, and it was like very simple atmospheric science. And my mind was absolutely blown 
that we had not learned a single thing about this for the past like 10 years of schooling in my life. I was like, this is such an urgent thing. And like he talked with such passion about climate change and everything that I was like, how has not a single person told me about this? Like I was just baffled. So then I started going down the wormhole and I started like the depression and I was like, oh my goodness, we're screwed. What's going on? I don't understand. And I was like, well, this is my degree. Like this is where we're going. This is what we're going to do. And then thinking back to kind of the farm or going to the lake or anything that like really brought me calmness in my life was outside, was going out in nature. And if that was in jeopardy in any way, that was just like fueling my need to keep working in this industry. Um, So I don't know if it was like my memories of the farm or anything. That wasn't like the thing that was really started it. But that class for sure, where I was just like, I felt like society had been lying to me my whole life that I didn't know about climate change, (laughs) Uh, which is crazy. So and then when you start looking into it, like we've known about this stuff since like the 60s, the 70s, like there's evidence that has been around, but like, why is it not taught in school? Uh, So that kind of fueled my like, people need to know this, like we have to go share this, like learning about it and going into a data crunching paper writing job isn't something I want to do. Like I want to go tell people what's happening. Like Mm -hmm. my own family didn't know, my own friends didn't know, like everybody I talked to, I was the only like green, sustainable thinking person. which now in hindsight, you look at the past 10, 15 years, people have come a long way. It is kind of more top of mind in a lot of people's lives and it's become a lot easier to do things. So that's yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's interesting. So I feel like rural education and maybe this has changed, like, you know, similarly, I've I graduated high school in 2000. Wow, 2010. Yeah. And so, you know, I I look back to that time frame and I had really so I had learned a lot about climate change and a lot about the environment and and that interest kind of sparked in about like the ninth grade, but only because I had one teacher um, and she taught you know, kind of all the sciences in high school, you know how it is in a small town. It's just like, you know, they have to teach everything, but she was exceptional. And I remember picking up a national geographic. I still have this national geographic um, magazine. And it was all about at the time. It's funny because now I work in renewable energy, but at the time they were calling it alternative fuels and alternative energy. And I remember reading it and I still have the highlighter marks in that magazine. Like I just, I was, I was so excited. I didn't understand any of it, but I was just like, wow, like this is so cool. And I remember bringing her the magazine (laughs) and being like, what can I do with this? Like, can I do this? Like, what is it? Like, how can I learn about this? What can I do? And she was like, absolutely. Like, this is so like, this is so relevant. And this is something you could do with your future. And like, okay, let's talk about this. Um, But she at the time had been talking about sort of um, more from like a planting trees and doing things like that. And so I got really into it. And at the time, um, went and heard Al Gore speak and planted seedlings at my school, like, you know, all those kinds of things. But it's interesting, because you know, drive 14 kilometers down the highway um, 
and granted there's a bit of age difference here, but my husband's hometown, like he didn't have a teacher like that. And it wasn't necessarily a part of the curriculum. So he like, that was not something he learned until he went to college. And then similarly as you, he was like, just like mind blown. So yeah, it's just interesting, like where you learn about that. And then again, like I, this is improving for sure, but you know, making sure that that science communication or like the community, the knowledge mobilization side of it is so key. And there's a much better understanding of that, the importance of that now. But at the time it was like, well, yeah, scientists just do their thing and nobody knows about it. It's like, it was just, yeah. Yeah. I remember yeah. it was like midway through my degree. I took a, I think it was climatology. I don't know. It was somewhat one of those courses. And they had just released another IPCC report. Um, and it was like the peak of climate deniers in the States. And just like the stuff that they would say to me was just so mind boggling when you look at like all the science behind it. Um, so that just like even more fueled everything that needed to be directed towards education and communicating like the right messages to people and starting like where they are in their personal journey and then kind of helping them get progressively better and not just being like you have to sell your car you have to compost like you have to do everything right right now so I think that was something that's coming from like not knowing anything about it even on my personal journey, I'm like, how am I going to do all these things? Like, this is overwhelming. Um, but knowing nothing and then learning, you got to the incremental steps of it, but the importance of communications and the importance of educating yourself on kind of what's going on in the world. Um, that was definitely a good learning curve in university. Too. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. And something and to- I see right now, I was going to say something I see right now with students too, working at the university uh, they want to go from zero to a hundred uh, on every single project. Um, so when I started working there, I was like, yeah, let's do this. We got this. And I was like, Hey, wait, we do work within a little bit of a bureaucracy. We do work within uh, like the public system. Things don't change that fast when they need to change that fast. They will. Um, and we are in a need situation. Um, but also knowing the logical steps of how to get there, communicating why we're doing something, building like that rapport, building up, following and then getting things done in like an efficient effective manner that's more my like grown-up hat that I just put on there (laughs) yeah but the university me wanted to like do things now but educate people but like get out there and get shit done oops get stuff done (laughs) okay (laughs) yeah I it's interesting you go you go through those phases and then you know I think kind of understanding that logical and like you say working with students and helping them to understand how those things work like something that they start in university, like a fourth year project that's related to sustainability. Are you going to be maybe be able to get that done and accomplish much in your fourth year? No, but that project might take you like I think about my fourth year, I was writing my honors thesis. And it was on um, the pre it was a pre feasibility assessment, which I now understand it was not a pre feasibility assessment. It was barely a report, but whatever. (laughs) At the time, I called it a pre feasibility (laughs) assessment for solar to offset uh, diesel in high Arctic communities. Um, and so, and I was living in Nunavut at the time and, and writing this report, but honestly, and at the time I thought, you know, I was gonna accomplish all the things. And of course you don't because you're a student and you can only do so much in a eight month course. Um, 
And then, but afterwards I realized like that kind of shaped the rest of my career. Like I've sort of taken that and, and moved forward. And like, I still, you know, I work in community energy. I, I work with indigenous communities. Like that was such a big part of moving forward. So kind of fostering that passion in those students to say like, you're not going to solve this problem in your fourth year capstone project. However, like, let's like think about how this can kind of carry you forward in, in your like future work. Like this might be your life work right here in your, in your fourth year project. So, yeah. That's kind of what we do in our office. We don't necessarily like, sometimes there will be a student project where they bring forward an idea and we're like, man, like we really didn't think about that. But 99% of the time, they're coming up with a project. Um, we usually get them to do projects that are going to impact sustainability at the university. So they can use our campus as kind of a living lab to test out their project. Um, so most of the time when they bring something to us, it's like refining the compost program. And I'm like, okay, well, we've had like 99,000 papers about our compost program. And it's like an ongoing thing. Um, but the fact that they do want to get it done in a semester, like you said, is just, it's not, not a thing, but at least they're laying the groundwork of like the skills they need to go and get a job. And lots of times they'll send us papers. We give them comments. We'll meet with them. If there is something that they come up with, well, um, sometimes we have them present to like the team that would be doing this work at the university. So not just our office, but like if it's an IT project, we'd have them meet with the IT folks just so that they're getting the experience of like meetings, meeting notes, writing reports, like just having an actual verbal conversation. Yeah. Lots of students Stakeholders. Really good at writing. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Or they're really good at writing, but they can't look you in the eye and like actually have a conversation. So it's all these like skills that you need when you get to the workplace. And we are definitely there to kind of help students develop those skills throughout their degree. Cool. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, so just as a way to end it off, I'm, I'm curious, uh, Christy, you know, how do you incorporate sustainability or like environmental consciousness into your, your day-to-day life? I'm curious what that looks like. Um, and then only because you're, 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 you're on maternity leave right now and you have a little one, um, I'd love to hear, and like a personal curiosity here, I'd love to hear like how that's shifted or, or, you know, what, you know, is, is it different? Is it more challenging? Is it easier? Like, yeah, I'm, I'm curious if you could share like a little bit about what you do kind of in your daily life from a sustainability perspective. This is maybe like the only question I kind of read and I was thinking about because I'm like, man, I feel like I am failing hard at everything sustainable. And it's only because, uh, well, first of all, our little guy, Remy, he's four months old. So like I haven't been on maternity leave that long. We're just settling into a groove where he's actually sleeping. Um, But if you would have asked me anything sustainable in month one and two of being a new mom with our first kid, I would have just said, please leave me alone. Like I have no other mental capacity for anything or anyone. Like I just, I need to sleep. I need to feed my baby and I need to go back to sleep. Like this is like the only things I can do. Um, And this year is also a kind of a funny year starting with COVID. So like we were working from home last March, I got pregnant in April. So I was pregnant kind of the whole time at home and the mental side of just like that whole thing, plus the pandemic uh, was interesting, plus sustainability. So there's lots of times 
chatting with students in this past fall and they're really stressed out about like having to learn at home having to think about the world ending because of climate change and nobody's taking actions and all of this stuff and I'm like yeah like I get it now I'm growing a person so <laughs> there's lots of things that you're just like add up and then having a baby you aren't really really prepared for how much it changes your life you're prepared theoretically for how much it changes your life but you don't actually realize not to mention like the whole hormone thing figuring out everything not sleeping all that so the first couple months were rough I zero percent thought about anything sustainable um yet I think my household kept things going the way I had been going so I'm ever so grateful to them Uh, we currently have our in-laws living in the basement um so they're also buying into my my green life, which is nice. So like we still compost it. We still have our, we do like a special plastic recycling. We still do our regular recycling, although that's interesting in Manitoba. Um, but like sustainable transportation with a new baby in winter in a pandemic, like there's certain yeah. things that I'm probably going to give up for a little bit. And I used to bike to the university. So it's like an hour bike ride there and an hour home. So I would bike there or bus there every day. And now my bike has been on the wall since I was too pregnant to ride it. So probably like October. And I really want to ride it. But how do I go anywhere with a four-month-old on a bike? I know it's possible. Like people obviously in like Amsterdam and Europe and everything, they do it. But yeah. like it's not something I'm going to do right this second. Um, so the roundabout way of answering that question is that I do now have the mental capacity to think about sustainability, but it is really budging hard <laughs> <laughs> to actually incorporate it and be doing the things that you need to do to support a mom. And I look back on how... I thought about parents or I thought about um, people that have mental health issues or people that have other things going on in their life. I'm like, well, why can't they just do this one extra thing? Like, why can't they just throw that banana peel in the compost? Like, how hard is that? And now having come out the other side of like having some postpartum and just being capped out plus a pandemic and everything, I understand I understand that sometimes you just don't have any more to do. Like you can't, you just can't do it. So you shut that part off because it's not ending the world today. So that's also like the struggle with sustainability is that it isn't something that you're going to see right this second, unless you live in a place like we're very blessed in Canada and specifically in the prairies where like, our big global disasters are like floods and droughts and maybe our tornado. Like those are the things that we kind of see with climate change. Whereas if we were in a coastal region or somewhere that is more impacted immediately by it, then maybe I would have a different perspective on that. But for this moment and for those moments when I was overly stressed out, like sustainability was the thing I had to shelf. It was yeah. the thing that had to break in order for me to even just like get up in the morning. So I'm in a lot better like mental state. I have a lot more handle on things. Like the little dude is just like having a nap. Like I'm figuring it out. 
Um, but yeah, it is still a struggle. Like just children in general. Oh my goodness. There's so much waste. And like, I've been trying the cloth diapering thing, but that's like kind of failing. I don't know. There's just so much poop. I don't know. And then (laughs) (laughs) people give you gifts. So everyone is buying you new things and like, it's really hard to turn down gifts, but like, we do try to buy like used clothing. All my stuff is used or borrowed or and buying him used stuff. I don't know. It's just struggle. Like yeah. there's no perfect way to be sustainable. And I have a lot more grace and understanding with people uh, with their struggles kind of on a day-to-day basis. So, yeah. <laughs> so that's thank you so much, Christy, for sharing that, because I think um yeah, I think it's, it's such a, it's such a common thing. And one of my girlfriends, she now has, has two little ones. Um, we're both under four. Uh, and, and she, she similarly was like really active in the sustainability space and social justice and was like always going to meetings and doing all the things. And, and, and she, she said to me, this was a, a year or so ago now, she was just like, yeah, I, I had to readjust like my expectations of myself and my expectations of what is possible. And just like being like being a good person for these little people is also really like, that's also sort of a lifelong, like setting the stage for like what those little people are going to be is just as important to sustainability as like, oh my God, it's been five months since I rode my bike. I've been driving my car everywhere. Like there's, there's other things like that are also really key. And you mentioned that at the start, right? Like being a good human being, like a caring human being is just as important to sustainability maybe as doing all of the things from zero to a hundred. So, um, yeah, I really appreciate your, your honesty and, and sharing that because I think, um, yeah, a lot of folks are likely going through the same thing you are and, and, and during a pandemic year and during all of the things going on. So it's just, there's too much. You can't do it all. There is too much. It's been like a really long year. So I would definitely say that people have to go really easy on themselves. And I'm even shocked that I like got through all that without crying. (laughs) Cause like it happens all the time. I don't know. It's stressful. So yeah, just go easy on yourself. Like you, you can't be perfect. You can't do all the things. Just do what you can when you can do it. And then you'll figure it out eventually. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. And a few folks we've had on the podcast have said that as well. Like the, the concept, and it's, it's talked about a lot now, but the concept of we don't really need a couple of people doing sustainability perfectly. We need everybody doing whatever they can do at that time. And if that's nothing for a little while, that's fine. Like, it's sort of like, we need everybody sort of working on little things, medium-sized things, big things, like not just everybody being perfect. So, yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Christy, for taking the time to chat with me today. I really appreciate it. I hope we beat Nap. Is he still napping? He is. He's still like out cold. Oh, (laughs) yeah, he is out cold. (laughs) Uh, all I see is cheeks in his crib so he's he's good (laughs) oh that's awesome well thank you Christy I really appreciate you taking the time to chat today um I hope we can stay in touch and and yeah we really appreciate your time on the podcast and all of the things that you shared so thank you awesome thanks for having me 
Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Sustainable Stories podcast. This podcast is hosted by myself, Jenna Inglot, as well as Roxanne Wagner from Sage Sustainable Solutions Consulting. For a full list of episodes, as well as more information about Sage, check us out online at sagesustainable.com. And as always, we welcome your feedback, thoughts, and suggestions. Catch you next time.